Hello and welcome to the Shepherd Walwyn podcast series. My name is Jonathan Brown. Shepherd Walwyn is a campaigning book publisher based in London, England. Our purpose is to uncover and promote new ideas to society's oldest problems. And whilst our specialty is ethical economics, something Anthony Werner, our driving force for over 40 years, has pioneered, we have branched out over the years to other related areas such as the environment and the lives and works of society's change agents. These podcasts promote ideas we're convinced can actually help us build a better society for all of us. So have a listen and be sure to share with your friends if you like them, but also tell us what you think. These are debates we all need to be part of. Today we're speaking with Marika Enriquez, a Jungian therapist and author of The Hidden Girl, The Journey of a Soul. It's an amazing combination of art, prose, with a dashing of poetry. And in the book, Marika tells her amazing journey of recovery from having to hide from the Nazis as a small Jewish child in Hungary during the occupation, being forced to leave her home in 1956 with the communist takeover, and then making her way overland to England, which has been her home ever since. Once settled, Marika trained to become a Jungian therapist, and the hidden girl tells her story of recovery, which is a both beautiful and insightful book, and this was a particularly heartwarming conversation. So let's get into it. I just want to say I absolutely love your book and I know it's technically about the Holocaust but I just found it terrifically moving from a a recovery from trauma um, and and finding your way home and um, the way you talk about just with such openness and and rawness about your experience I just think it's just got such a, a wonderful connective possibility for others who have gone through other trauma who feel that they don't have a home or they had to in some way deny themselves where you had to literally deny who and and what you were in in Nazi Nazi occupied Hungary um and to deny who and what you were there and and lose your family members and and just and just the people today just feeling that there's nowhere that they belong or there's they have in some way to deny themselves um and don't know who they are and i just think your journey of recovery it's just it's just so incredible. Thank you. Uh-huh. So, so um, Marika, just um, what prompted you to write the book um, and how long did it take you? Um, I felt a kind of obligation, uh, responsibility to do, say, write something because I was nine years old and I went into hiding. So I'm one of the last survivors. And that was one of the reasons. And the other one, very much what you said, to help other people who suffered. But I also have to say that it was a process. So it started uh, the whole in a journey started with an operation um, and after the operation I started to draw they just pulled out of me and that took three years the drawings I've been drawing in the hospital I was drawing when I was at home nothing could stop me I'd rather not eat I just draw so um after that was finished, I actually wrote a, a book and wanted to publish it. 
but thankfully I realized it was uh, very raw, very emotional. It was like almost like a long scream. So it was good that I could do it and I feel happy that I've done it. Uh, but it wasn't right for others to read it. So after that, um, the drawings became tapestries. And I will tell you later how that happened. Uh, and they took three years as well. So we are up to six years, uh, nine years really, drawing three years, books three years, tapestries three years. And then there was a hiatus of about perhaps 10 years. And only then could I write the narrative. So altogether it was a process of um, about 20 years. Mm. So it's difficult to say, but um, how long it took. But that's how it was. And how long it took again, I could say um, maybe one year, but I could also say a lifetime because um, I think I tried to do it four times. And the first time was actually when we were liberated and I was nine years old. And I remember getting a ledger from somewhere and I written but one sentence and it read, um, the Germans marched into Budapest on the 19th, yeah, 19th of March, 1944. And that was it. So I can't remember, I don't know why the child in me abandoned writing, whether she didn't remember or she remembered too much. So I don't know. So that was one attempt. And um, as I told you, there was this second attempt after the drawings, and that didn't work out. And then um, I will tell you later one of the conclusions uh, I returned to my tradition, my Jewish faith. And then I thought, now is the time to write it. And then again, I abandoned it because I thought I ought to live a bit of a Jewish life um, before I attempt to do it. So it was a forced time. And I, I was in my 80s, so I, I think it might give hope to all people that things can happen in old age. So um, a year and a lifetime. Yeah, I do know, and it, it's that 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 story speaks so clearly. Um... Through the book really um of, and, and coming back and i don't i'm not sure about the i appreciate the the use of the word abandoned but i just wonder if it was really when the, what you just described about returning home to your faith of of giving that time as well and 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 returning and then integrating and then being ready and i just think it just it just speaks of the integrity that you had to 
you know, of returning to wholeness and not just integrity in an honesty sense, but just in a in a stitching yourself back together, which I know you used as a as a metaphor. And there was a wonderful quote from um about how the the women um sew and they use it to to weave together, not to not to cause injury and um and they it, use the needle. Yes, yes. Not to harm, but to heal. Yes, it's never aggressive. It's not a pin. The needle is used to repair damage. Yes. I think it was from um, Louis Bourgeois. Yes. I remember going to the exhibition and I was so taken by this sentence that I actually wrote it down. Oh, lovely. And then I used it in the book. But you've 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 led you've lived an extraordinary life, um, Marika. Is anything would you be willing just to tell us a, a few things about your obviously, I mean, when you came to the you you came to Britain finally in after the, the Hungarian uprising. Um and then but you became a therapist and you became a healer yourself. And would you share us with some of your story there? Uh about how I became a therapist. Or... Yes. And what drew you to the to becoming a to becoming a healer? Well, I'm a Jungian, I call myself a Jungian therapist. And Jung has um, said that it's, um, he calls it the wounded healer. Mm. And I felt that's what I became. Um, and there was a space in me that could accommodate other people's suffering because I have suffered myself. Um, and Jungian very much so because I think I had Jung ideas already within me before I read him because I was uh, brought up in a totalitarian, well, two of them, totalitarian country and in a Stalinist era. Um, there was... You couldn't be an individual. Everything was for the community and the state. And Jung's main idea is individuation, to become who you truly are. Mm. And that really attracted me. And um, I hope I'm helping other people to do that. So that's... And also to give them voice, because I didn't have a voice. And so I work quite long term. Don't ask me how long, long term. And to allow people who had trauma and suffering and weren't allowed or weren't able to uh, speak to, you know, I have a drawing which is called the mute one. Mm. Uh, and some of my patients are sort of in brackets new to give them voice, to allow them to speak. So that's why I feel I am a wounded healer. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Um, I know it is a there is a there's a massive theme around the the Holocaust, obviously in the in the book just wonder what what would be your 
sense of how is it different from um, other books? I think basically it doesn't describe the monstrous artery events that Ali Wiesel and many others have heartrendingly wrote about. Although, you know, I, there was hunger and hiding and terror and abandonment, but I don't concentrate on that. I concentrate on healing of the possibility that even from such a historical wounding, you can recover. And so that, I would say, is, is a difference from other Holocaust books. And, um, and I, at this point, I'd like to tell you a little bit about the operation I mentioned in, earlier. Um, I was told I have terminal cancer. And I can't tell you why, but I'm a rather intuitive person. And I felt I, I would know I, I didn't have cancer. And it was a very difficult few months trying to con you know, to tell the medical profession that I don't want the operation. Um, but in the end, uh, I did have it. And as it turned out, I didn't have cancer. And in some ways, I don't know whether I can express this well, but uh, Holocaust and hiding had something in common that in, in both cases I had to suffer something that was unnecessary, terrible, abrupt. And it, it, I, I, I wasn't so bad that at, at that time I needed to be killed or annihilated. And at the time of the operation, um, there was nothing so wrong with me that it had to cut, be cut out. But the in both cases, authorities deemed it so. So obviously, when I was told that I was right and there was nothing wrong in my body, I I felt very low. Perhaps I could say even somewhat depressed. And uh, what happened was that. that uh, a good friend of mine came to visit and said, um, grow what you feel. And if you knew me, that was ridiculous because I really, really could not draw. My sister and my father could draw. I, I was a writer in the family. So I, I just really, I, I couldn't. And yet, uh, I woke up in the early morning one day after the three days, I think, after the operation, and I began to draw. And this drawing just poured out of me. I almost had no control over them. And at that time, I didn't even know what they meant. And when I returned home, I continued to, to draw. And then I went to a concert. And it was Shostakovich's 10th symphony, I remember that. 
and I don't know it. It uh, I'm not very musical. I just know what I like, but I noticed how the secondary scenes have woven into the main scene, and it started me thinking of weaving, sewing, um, and I decided that the drawings have to become tapestries, and. So I started to make tapestries. And again, I I didn't know how to sew. So to sew on a button was always a, a very boring and difficult thing for me to do. And yet I started to sew. And I I didn't want to learn how to do that. I could have, but I didn't. I wanted the tapestries to tell me what they are. So they should teach me, not I should be told. I was told by them. And whereas the drawings, they just pulled out of me fast, very fast. When I did the tapestries, um, I had to stay with them month after month after month. So they took three years. And uh, like with the drawings, um, I had to sew. Again, I I lost interest in everything. I, my main occupation always was music and books, and I couldn't listen and I couldn't read. I just had to sew and uh, wait for some image to emerge. But that meant I had to start feeling and have to stay with whatever feeling came up, mostly terror, and had to sew it. And when an image was ready, I, I framed it and had it framed and put it on the wall. And then it was out there. It was no longer inside me. Uh, and I could correspond with whatever was on the wall. And that was very healing. And it, it actually also, I realized it was sort of witnesses. They, they told me kind of in their own visual and silent but active way of what happened to me. So that was very much part of the healing process. And um, so by now I had 52 drawings. Um, I had a, a very pained book. And I had, in the end, 19 tapestries. And as I said, there was a kind of um, pause. I can't tell you something happened in my inner being, I take it, it process all that was, what has happened. Um, and only then could I write the narrative. And that's, that was uh, the culmination of the whole healing process. So um, that's, that's, uh, was quite a huge process, as, as you can imagine. 
And as a as a therapist, then Marika, just on that extraordinary experience that you had of the of the of the the, the drawings or the images just having to come out of you, and what's your what's as a therapist, what's your what's your assessment or interpretation of of what happened to you? I I never interpret. I don't even interpret dreams. I with my patients. Um, yeah, I failed to tell you that I also recorded my dreams and wrote poetry. Uh, so that's in the book as well. Um, in just one big sentence, I could say that healing happens through creativity, and that whatever form that takes. Um, I don't know whether that answers your question or not. Mm. It did. It, you know the, the the description of of it. The only time I've had a I've had something similar is when I was writing a book, and I I couldn't. The book insisted on being written, and it would it, it wouldn't allow me to do anything else. And it was as if there was something in my head that insisted, or what something coming through me. It's like, right, we're doing this. You're doing this. So get on it. And every time I tried to move away, it pulled me back and harassed me until I sat down and wrote it out. And it was only then that it that it quietened and it was that I was free of this this thing that was that insisted on coming on coming out. I completely understand that. Completely. In fact, um I don't know what you think of it, but I'm saying it. I sometimes say I haven't written the book. The book has written itself. And it's, I can't count, so you can add up. It wanted to be written since I was nine years old. Yeah. So, and really, I, when I read the book, and I read it a few times, I said, who wrote this? And it's the same thing with the drawings. I can't draw. I know you could ask me to draw a child. I couldn't do it. So again, something very uh, deep from within me did all this, which is why um, when I became a therapist, it wasn't difficult for me to take on board and understand that there is something that we in the trade call the unconscious. And it's, I also call it your bigger self. And it's this bigger spiritual self that somehow decided that this book has to be written. Well, and, and, and created, right? If you look at and, I mean, because it, it, isn't, it isn't a book in itself, right? Because it, you could even say it's a, it's a, you know, an art, it's like an experience going to an art gallery and, and looking at, at drawings and then there's, there's there's poetry in there as well. And it's one of the things that, that I found so so resonant was when when you hear, you know, like a, a story of of the, the suffering, the trauma, the recovery is that there's well, there, there isn't this there isn't the space for your own as as the reader. You don't you don't have that space, whereas when I was reading your work, I could feel my in the, my much lesser than than obviously the than the stuff you went through, but my trauma coming through, or or like you say, the you know the the picture of the mute self, and and the times when you haven't been listened to, and that that was in so a, in a therapeutic sense, from what you said about about having space for to accommodate others' suffering, as a reader, 
it seems that that's what you've created. That's certainly what I experienced reading your book and experiencing your book or interact. It's not even reading, is it? It's interacting with and thinking about and and reading a bit and then looking at the images and coming back to them, having in a, in a much shorter time frame. It didn't take me about 20 years to read it, <laughs> um, but just just interacting with and that and helping someone and 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 you know and, and everybody's journey home is 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 symbolic of of your journey i think really and it, and i think you've you've given people space to to engage with a lightness of touch that is often absent from some some stories of trauma and recovery because it can be so overwhelming and yet it's like you know what and and your focus has been on healing and on on this expression of the pain and also expression of of the healing of of the return to yourself and um and return to your being and it's just been it's just a tr- such a wonderfully beautiful book thank you it's it's uh it seems that what my book wanted to say that uh healing is possible difficult but possible and it's all creativity and that creativity is also the answer to what I call the dark forces. It's a kind of um, sort of triumph. I lived a full life despite of what happened to me. Culmination Mm. of my healing was returning to my tradition. And I didn't lead a Jewish life. Um, in the Stalinist area, religion wasn't allowed, and my father was a humanist. Um, my mother lit two candles on Friday nights, but never told me what they were for. And um, I just thought it was a private ritual. And the, I was 71 years old when I returned to my tradition, 71. And three years later, at 74, I don't know how much you know about Judaism, but I did my bat mitzvah. And people were so astounded that a lot of people in synagogue who never did their bat mitzvah said, if Marika could do this at 74, we could do it. And a lot of older people did that. And I, I intentionally chose the date of October 17th when I went into hiding and I did my bat mitzvah uh, on October 17th. And I felt that if the Holocaust was my spiritual death, then my bat mitzvah was my rebirth, where I could acknowledge and say, I am a Jew, I always have been a Jew, and I always will be a Jew. And I said that in my bat mitzvah prayer. So, and also it meant that I now have my full identity, which included, of course, being Jewish, which has been denied, and I denied it myself for so long. And so I am now a more full human being. Another saying by Jung, let me see, I can quote it. Um, I am not what happened to me. I am what I chose to become. 
Mm. I think that's a very powerful thing. I would, if I may, Jung, I would uh, do it a little bit differently. I would say I am not only what has happened to me because, of course, um, what has happened face. It doesn't, there is no such thing as a cure. There is, a, there is healing, but there is no cure. The nine-year-old in me still suffers. And at a certain point, she, she comes up quite large. And I, as an adult, have to say to it, look, it's all right. It's now. It's not then. And I look after you. It's all right. And actually... I do this with a lot of my patients. It's part of the healing. Don't know whether that makes uh, total sense. Any sense? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, and just this, uh, you know, and also this is especially for someone um, in trauma and experienced trauma is that it, there isn't. You've only got the present, haven't you? And 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 I think people, if you haven't, if you haven't been through trauma then you think, oh, you know, why can't you just get over it? That was, you know, 80, 60 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever. And for the individual who's traumatized, it's now is the experience. And it, and that that part of you that is still experiencing the trauma now. And we can look at the the way that traumatic memories are stored and, you know, the integration of emotion and, and, and all those things. It's just that it's felt now. And I think that what you've what you've done with this work is a, is is these the now bits of it the, the experience came out through this wonderful artwork and then the tapestry of that deepening and the integrating the symbolism of your of your life and your work and it's just absolutely stunning of of weaving weaving this back together and uh, you know weaving yourself thank you I'm, I'm very glad that you understand it and i have to say that if I may say what I think is good about the book, is um, um, it's very, I think it is very personal, but it's also universal. I don't want to use the word archetypal, but it is. So, for example, I have um, drawn my um, tree of life and People can respond to that because everybody has a tree of life. That happens to be mine, but yours might look different, but it's still a tree. And many of my drawings are like that. And um, um, I don't know whether I've written it in the book or not. I was a finalist at the People's Book Prize and I got hundreds, literally hundreds of comments and the ones that gladdened my heart were those who actually wrote to me that they were traumatized and they looked at their trauma from a different angle and they started to, uh, they, somebody said I started to make clothes and you know other people mm. said different things and that was my true reward that I learned that I was helping people who suffered and had trauma. And I also think that somewhere, at least 
I think it is somewhere in the book that, of course, I'm a survivor of the Holocaust, but I wanted to help other people from other genocides. It's not just the Holocaust. So some people wrote to me about that. So very much what I said at the beginning that I wanted to help people and 20 years later I get this comment so that mm. that was very satisfying yes well it's a you know it's a great work I would I would I'd normally ask people who've written a book I say have you working on an, any more books um <laughs> and I'm thinking would need to take you to about 115 I think if you take another 20 years to or 25 years to write it no way I am just so glad it's written itself. And I don't know whether Mirella told you or not um, that some of my images are in a permanent exhibition in the Jung Museum in Switzerland near Zurich. Wow. And that was so interesting. Can I say something about that? Sure, yeah. Well, anyway, I'm... uh, incredibly pleased that it's in a museum that you know international people go to the young museum there in Gothenburg and that I could show the world the monstrous uh, trauma the Holocaust has caused but in such a way that they enjoy it and that I don't think, uh, I hope it's not hubris. I don't know anyone who who has done that. So I think that's the value of my book as well. Yes, I would agree. I think it's um, just the the lightness of of talking and working with such deep wounds. um, I've read quite a lot in the space, you know, for my own stuff and I've not come across a book like yours, so it's um, no, it's a very special, very special work. So thank you very much. Thank you, and thank you very much for understanding it. I felt you really made it your own, and you understood my uh, intentions and healing and everything. So thank you, Jonathan, very much. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation um, with Marika. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with her. Um, It had taken a long time to set up because she had been ill um, for quite a while before that and um, and had a personal loss as well to deal with and and so it was it was maybe 18 months between the the initial conversation and when we finally got to talk. Um, When we were when we were finishing up the recording she asked me if I would summarize the conversation and on the spot I said yes and when I played it back and I've listened to it a few times now I wasn't sure but to honor her wish there were a couple of things I'd like to draw out of the of the book and of the conversation and her her message especially if you've experienced challenge and are and continue to experience challenge. So I think what, what I really hope um, you get from it, especially if you haven't gone through a particular trauma yourself, is the 
the way in which the trauma stays with you. And, and Marika says that a cure for your trauma isn't possible, but healing is possible. And I think that, that it's a profound distinction and it's something that resonates as, as deep truth from my experience as I've come to terms with the challenges that I've faced as a result of earlier challenges. And, and realizing that, that healing is a wondrous thing and healing will be enough and, and living with the challenge that you've faced is okay. The other thing I want to, to honor and to draw is that it, it, it's taken Marika a lifetime to recover and to heal. And as she said, I think towards the end of the, um, the conversation, it was only when she fully returned to her faith, to Judaism, and at the, an amazing age of 72, I think it was, she had a bar mitzvah. And in doing so, inspired other people in the synagogue, which I thought was a, a truly wonderful thing. But it can take a lifetime to come home and to find our way back to where we were. Or to find the path that we were on as children and then for whatever reason we were knocked off it. But then if it does take a lifetime, well, to paraphrase Young, if it takes a lifetime to enjoy the privilege of becoming who you truly are, then is that not a life well spent? I really got the impression and I hope he did in the conversation that Marika's feeling of her life in spite of or even because of the challenges she's faced is that it was a life well spent because she's fulfilled the ultimate aim or the ultimate privilege of becoming who she truly is. And I think that's something that, that with enough courage and support and opportunity, it's something that we can aim for in our lives. I really encourage you to buy the book. It's a wonderful thing and you can read it in one sitting. I personally didn't because it was, it was so thought-provoking. I, I allowed myself to, to take in the images and to, to experience them and to, to write about what, what came up for me as I read her work. And as I said in the, at the beginning of the talk, she leaves space for your own stuff, which I think is a remarkable thing in, in, in works around recovery and, and healing. And on that note, I'll leave it there. So thank you very much for listening. Um, take a look at her book and we'll see you next time.